Welcome to the Connecting Place podcast. Here is today's message. Good morning. God bless the state of Ohio. Evidently, you're from Pennsylvania. Y'all have a great state, you know that? Okay, I'm going to talk fast this morning. It's not because I'm in a hurry. It's because I've got a lot of kids at home, and I've sort of learned how to talk real quick. Uh, we teach on family. Uh, I worked in the electrical industry for almost 12 years. I was an engineer, and God called us into the ministry, and that's where I met your pastor, went back to Bible school, and uh, to go into ministry, and specifically family ministry. God told us years ago that we would travel in the last days and speak on family. Family is the first thing God made, first thing that got busted. God's in the mode right now of putting families back together. I knew it would be the greatest last day revival would be among the family. Now, I'm going to read something to you. Malachi, nobody reads much in Malachi. It's just sort of a scary book, but I'm going to give you a few good positive scriptures here since it's early in the day. Last book of the Old Testament, and uh, I was just thinking years ago, because being an engineer, I wasn't an electrical engineer. People said, are you an electrical engineer? I said, no, I work in the electrical industry. I'm a, I'm a manufacturing engineer. I'm a I'm a process engineer. I'm trained to make sure you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. So if a company hired me, uh, my first job is to make sure if you go to Home Depot or Lowe's, you buy our product. That product does what that box says it does. That's my first job. I'm a quality control engineer. The second half of my job was I have a year to make that product better. That product a year from now better be better, doing better, and making a bigger profit for the company. I am a process engineer. Well, I thought it was really unique when God called us into family ministry. What do you do? Well, I'm a, I'm a family engineer. Now, the first thing you do as an engineer when you go into any kind of problem is it's always busted. That's why I got paid real good money. I got paid to fix busted stuff. If everything's working, they don't need me. They need me when things aren't working. And so I loved when I got a bad report. It just sort of trained me. Well, we got some hell down here. Praise God, I'll be right there. Because most people write the opposite. They think, man, if you got hell in your life, something's wrong. We just need to smooth this out. And I want to show you something this morning. Now, Malachi, I'm going to read this sort of quick. Malachi chapter 2, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. By the way, if you can pull a picture of my kids up here in just a minute, I'm going to show you something. Malachi chapter 2, I'm going to jump in here at verse 15. And here's what he says. Didn't the Lord God make you one with your wife? Well, maybe, maybe not. Didn't the Lord make you one with your wife? And body and spirit, you are his. And what does he want? Godly children. What was God looking for when we got married? Godly seed. What are you looking for? I'm looking for just not any kind of seed. There's all kinds of seed. I'm looking for a godly seed. Then the last verse of Malachi, sort of interesting, he said, listen, before Jesus comes back, you look, I am sending to you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives. His preaching will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers. Lest wise I come and smite the earth with a curse. What happened? Family got busted in the Garden of Eden. You've got to go all the way back to Genesis. Adam and Eve, Garden of Eden, everything's great. Weather's perfect. Clothes are cheap. Neighbors are nice. <laughs> but devil had already been fired from his job and cast out of heaven. He's on the earth. He comes in. He gum flaps them out of everything. Adam and Eve sin. They get fired from their job, evicted from their house. Their kids start killing each other. And so they just went goofy. And so God comes down to visit. And Adam, where are you? Well, he's hiding. He said, what are you doing? Well, I'm hiding. Why are you hiding? He said, did you eat that fruit I told you not to eat? Of course, here it starts. First thing Adam said was, it was the woman you gave me. And God me knew it was good when it was just me and you. It was paradise. And ever since you brought her into my life, my life's been going downhill. 
Okay, Eve, what's your story? And she thought it meant snake, snake's fault. Even from the beginning, when you have sin in your life, nobody takes responsibility. It's somebody else's fault. Well, if I had a daddy, I'd have been somebody. If I'd have had a mommy, I'd have been somebody. If the coach had played me, I'd have been somebody. If they had fired me, I'd have been somebody. If it wasn't for them, I'd be doing fine. It's going to fill up the newspaper news today. Everybody else is the reason we're not doing well. If it wasn't for the president, if it wasn't for the Congress, if it wasn't for the Senate, if it wasn't for my boss, if it wasn't, I'd be doing fine. Well, bless your ignorant, blinded heart. <laughs> what happened is you come along the garden. Of course, God comes down and says, well, now that you're sin, here's what's going to happen. Woman, you're going to have pain in childbirth, which I assume he's before now having a baby was like spitting out a watermelon seed. And after the fall, it was like spitting out a watermelon. You got to think about that a minute. So he said, woman, now that you've sinned, so your desire is going to be to rule over your husband, but he's going to ruthlessly rule over you. So male chauvinism and women's liberation were not born in the 60s. They were born in the Garden of Eden. Marriage is under a curse. That's why we are the most Christian nation on the face of the planet, yet there is a 50% divorce rate in the United States, and we are the most Christian nation, but half of them don't make it. Second marriages have a 67% divorce rate. Third marriages have a 73% divorce rate. It does not get better. It's busted. And if you don't know how it was originally supposed to work, it'll stay busted. God said before he sends back his son, I'll turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children to the fathers. The last great day revival is going to be among families. I'm going to put the stuff that got busted back together. God always finishes stronger than he starts. Adam, here's what's going to be your deal now that you sin. You're going to have to work by the sweat of your brow. Oh, you're going to eat, but thorns and thistles are going to grow up, and it's going to get ugly. So the entire family got messed up. So, you know, you start in Genesis, and it goes downhill. Adam and Eve, you know, their kids start killing each other. You come all the way down the Tower of Babel, you know, the flood. It just gets ugly all the way to Revelation. The world's on a downhill slide. So as a parent, and we teach on parenting. We teach, we've been teaching on families for about 20 years. Uh, traveling around the country. We do about 80 seminars a year. Our TV program covers about a third of the earth. And people say, what do you teach them? Family. Dear Lord, that's not real popular. I know, it's sort of a messed up deal. To me, I think it's job security, though. Every day I get up, well, you know, there's some hell somewhere we get to go fix. Somebody's living in hell. We're going to go fix it. So what you got to do is kind of go back to the beginning. So even when our kids, we go back, so okay, we got to go back to the beginning, kind of tell you how this was supposed to work from the beginning. God made everything good, man busted. Jesus came to put it back together. There's only two kingdoms, heaven and hell, light and dark, righteous, unrighteous. There's no third kingdom. We're either going with God or we're going with the devil. Which one are we going to do? So I remember I'd make lists of scriptures for the kids because I want you to know who you are. In him, in whom, in Christ, all of you are different. We've got six kids. No two turned out the same. They're all different. Now these are my five girls. These are the first five we had. We had girls. I was looking for a boy and uh, Girls kept coming out. <laughs> they told me I had no male genes in me, evidently. So this is my oldest daughter over here on the right. That's Sarah Elizabeth. She's a blessing. She's the, you know, firstborn are always the smartest. They're like an adult, you know. They never do anything wrong. And so anyhow, but she did, and because uh, she's like me. But anyhow, Sarah's a college professor today, got her doctorate at ORU. She's doing really good. Jessica, my second daughter there, the blonde-headed next to her, she was a great basketball player. Uh, All-state basketball player, went to Old Roberts on a basketball scholarship. She's an accounting, got an accounting degree. This is Corey on the other side, my third daughter. She came out mad. She was just mad. She said, I hate being a middle child. I'm a stinking middle, I hate being a middle child. Because everything she got was a hand-me-down from the first two. I said, we bought good clothes. They still fit, put them on. 
I want my own. Oh, no, no. Grow up, get a job, buy your own. Right now you're wearing what we've already bought. And then she'd have to help out with the younger ones because the older ones had kind of moved on. She said, I always have to help out with the babies. Yes, you do. And she said, I hate being a middle child. I said, God made you a middle child on purpose because he loves you. Because you're not going where the other children are going. And I read her the story of Madeline Manning Mims, the great Olympic track star, who was, whose mama, because she's born with bad lungs, she wasn't born a track star, and her mama would get her up early in the morning and take her downstairs in the apartment complex and make her run around the block to build up her lungs, not to make her a track star. Madeline said it dawned on me one morning, and I'd never seen any of my friends out there, so I asked my mama, Mama, why do you make me get up and run around the block every morning? She said it just sort of dawned on me. My mama sat down on the bed next to me, and here's what she said. She said, darling, you're not going where the other children are going. The price you pay is different. And now you've got to earn something as a parent. I don't want my children with other children. I want you to lead. I want you out front. Jesus said, you want to be great in my kingdom? Become the servant of all. But if you don't leave home knowing who you are in Christ, what you're doing, you're always, I want to fit in. I want to fit in. I just want somebody like me. I want to get invited to a party. I just want to be a part. I want to dress like them, wear their hair like them. I want to wear what they got on. I want to drive what they drive. <laughs> Not in my house. I need you to leave home and stay gone. <laughs> parents lay up for the children. Children lay up for the parents. My goal is to make you an adult. The whole purpose of having a baby is to train them up to be an adult. I want you to grow up. And I want you to have a fun time while you do it. We, our home's a fun place, man. Our, our house like a state park. It's a fun place, man. Front yard's a basketball court. We had a swim pool in the back, and we got, you know, baseballs hanging from trees. You can hit with a bat. We got guns you can shoot. I mean, we got poles you can climb. Just have a good time. <laughs> I only have three rules in my house, and I said that's the only ones I expect you to do, so we're going to talk about that here in just a second. I went back and I said, okay, we've got to plan a vision. We've got to plan a vision. We've got to go back. What are we doing here? So you go back to Genesis 18, 19, and you start off, what is the parenting thing about? Genesis 18, 19, God picks this old man who couldn't even have any kids. He was old, couldn't have any kids. So I'm picking this old man. Why? Well, I know him. What do you know about this old man besides the fact he can't have any kids? Well, he will teach his children and his children's children. I know his heart. He will pass on what I'm about to give him. He will pass on the faith to the next generation. The church is always one generation from being extinct. Do you understand that? We're always one generation away from not existing. Uh, when I had a leadership class at Old Roberts University years ago, a professor, Dr. Petra, that started CBN University, gave us 12 pairs of people. And he said, who's the best leader between these 12 pairs? We had a week to get the answer. It's 12 of us. Moses and Joshua, Elijah and Elisha. So we did all of our homework. It seemed too easy. I knew there was a problem. We came back on Friday. You have an answer. And so I was a spokesman. I said, yes. I said, we believe that Joshua was the better leader because Moses lost his temper. Even though he did a lot of good stuff. Cecil B. DeMille's Ten Commandments. Great movie. Moses lost his temper. Joshua had to finish the job. I'm great leader. Leaders always finish. Elijah and Elisha. Elijah, you know, complained, griped, chariot took him home. Elisha did twice the miracles, you know. And so we gave him the facts from the Word of God. He just sat there on the desk and said, well, all of you get an F. And he was serious. We did. We got an F. And said, you flunk. He said, the greatest thing on this planet is the work of God. It was here the day you were born. It will be here the day you die. You have one job, and that's pass it on to the next generation. Moses was the better leader because when he died, he left a successor in Joshua. Even though Joshua did great things, when he died, he left no successor. The whole country went back into sin in one generation. Elijah left a successor reluctantly, but he left one in Elisha. And even though Elisha started the school of the prophets, did twice the miracles, he raised up no one to replace him. And when he died, the whole country went back into sin. The whole thing about parenting is replacing yourself and launching the next generation, not just showing them off to your neighbors. Hey, look at our little child. <laughs> well, just give them time. They're going to go stupid. 
because they're all born with a sin nature. Nobody told us that. I don't care how cute they're in the hospital. The first word they're going to learn is no. No. <laughs> Bless your heart. That's, that's a good word. No. <laughs> We're going to work on that. And so, so you begin to realize that God, what he was realizing, I'm going to have to train and teach this thing because it came out cute, but it's going to go a doofus on me. I've got to work on this thing. So we start through the scriptures. You go down to Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 9. says, you know, you need to teach your children when you wake up. Walk by the way, sit down and lie down. Psalm 78, you're to teach your children to the fifth generation that they might have hope in God, not be as their fathers who forgot me, my ways, my works, my wonders. Uh, you come all the way down to Psalms 112. If I fear God, my seed will be mighty upon this planet. Wealth and riches will be in their house. Their righteousness will endure forever. Psalms 127, my seed, my seed. Oh, dear Lord. I, I just used to list these things because once we started dropping babies like rainwater out of heaven, I said, we're outnumbered. We're outnumbered. We've got to do something. And so and the, they wrote in Psalms that my seed, talking about how not only would they be mighty, but said they're going to they're gonna bring honor to the family name. Uh, you got all the way down to Isaiah 54. All of our children shall be taught of the Lord. Great will be, be their peace and undisturbed composure. Isaiah 29 and 10. Whom shall we teach the deep doctrines of God? Those we from their mothers. Proverbs 22, 6. Train up a child in the way they should go. Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers, don't provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So it's training, teaching, teaching, training, training. I, don't ever say to your kid, how many times do I have to tell you? Don't say that. It makes you look incredibly stupid. Just tell them again. I need you to clean up your room. I need you to do your homework. We do need you to brush your teeth. You're kind of skanky. Have you changed your underwear lately? God bless you. We'd appreciate it if you do that. We don't need a newspaper editor from hell. We need somebody to begin to teach them what they need to do. When we begin to do parenting, we begin to study cultures. And who's done this really well? And we study cultures around the world. And I always studied Jewish people. And uh, we've been to Israel several times. And I noticed the first time we went to Israel, it was amazing. Uh, on the Sabbath, you know, they don't cook anything on the Sabbath in Israel. You're eating everything cold. But on the Sabbath, all the families would show up at the local kibbutzers, the hotels, fill the place up on Friday night. Sundown, the Sabbath, church over there is 24 hours. We get mad if it goes longer than an hour and a half here. But over there is 24 hours. And, man, they bring food and music, and they dance and twirl and sing, and sit up all night, and just a noisy bunch. Dads get them up. Moms don't get them up. Dads get up the next morning, get them dressed, take them to the local synagogue. Mom just follows behind. The Sabbath is a great day for women. Father. They bring them back at the end of the Sabbath on Saturday. The fathers or the grandfathers put all the families in a circle. So we were sitting in this big kibbutz. We're looking down on this big floor, and we're just watching it. Just, this is amazing. As a Christian, I'm watching these Jewish people worship God. The last thing they do every Sabbath, 52 days out of the year, is they get the family in a big circle, and the oldest man of the family, the father the grandfather, will walk around in the circle, lay hands on every child in that family. And here's what he's saying in Hebrew. May the Lord make you as Ephraim and Manasseh. May the Lord make you as Ephraim May the, what he's saying is, may the Lord make you spiritually strong and economically creative. A Jewish child has that said over them 52 times a year, every year of their life till they leave home. Now, I don't know if you know this, but Jewish Americans make up 2% of the population in the United States. They also account for one-third of all multimillionaires. They didn't get lucky. They expect to prosper. Their daddy spoke it over them their entire life. I expect you to be spiritually strong and economically creative. None. You're not going to mount the hill of beans. You're dumb of the dirt, and I'll be glad when you're out of my house. we got to start saying what God says to say over them, not what we're looking at. Call those things that be not as though they are. God constantly sent angels to call people what they weren't. God sent an angel to Gideon who was a wimp hiding in a hole, and the first thing the angel said is, Hello, you mighty men of courage. And Gideon argued with the angel. He had never seen one, but he argued with him. 
Man, you made a wrong turn coming out of heaven. There are no mighty men down here. My whole, my whole country's wimped out. My family, we're starving to death. My family's wimpy. I'm wimpy. Our country's wimpy. I'm stomping on some wheat, trying to make enough flour to make a biscuit and not starve to death. You made a wrong turn coming out of heaven. And the angel yells again, hello, you mighty men of courage. And I imagine CNN showing up with a camel crew. I'm sure they've been around forever. Sticking a microphone in the hole. Hey, kid, what's going on here? And Gideon, judges says by his own mouth, says, my name is Gideon. I am the wimpiest member of my family. My family is the wimpiest of my tribe. My tribe's wimped out. We've all wimped out. The nut in the white sheet keeps calling me a mighty man of courage. <laughs> God sent an angel to call him what he was going to become, not what he was. Greatest thing you'll ever do as a parent is start saying what God says about your child, not what you're looking at. We don't need a billboard from hell. Anybody can talk about the past. Somebody's going to have to wax prophetic and start talking about the future. What are you going to be? What are you going to do? Now, in Luke 2.52, here's what Jesus did. You go and you read through. Matter of fact, let me just read this because nobody reads the first part of it. Luke, uh, two. Luke chapter 2 is really good. <clears throat> Mom and dad have lost Jesus for a few days. You know, Mary and Joseph, Silent Night, Holy Night, we three kings of Orionar. Jesus was 12 years old. I'm going to jump in here, uh, Luke chapter 2, verse 41. Verse 41, reading from the New Living Translation. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. When Jesus was 12 years old, they attended the festival as usual. After the celebration was over, they started home to Nazareth. Nazareth is 63 miles away. There's no buses. There's no cars. They walked. Took days to get there. So they're headed home. But Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not miss him at first. <laughs> and I, love, I know that. Where are they at? I don't know. They're just not here. I don't know where they are. Not here. They assumed he was among the other travelers, but when he didn't show up that evening, they started looking for him among the relatives and the friends. When they couldn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to search for him there. Now, this is, this is moving. This is taking days. They've already walked a full day from Jerusalem. It's going to take four to five days to get home, 63-mile trip. They can walk all day long. They make camp. Sundown, where's the kids? Where's, that? where's Jesus at? Where's he at? You know, because Mary and Joseph had other kids, you know. And so, well, I don't know. We hadn't seen him. Well, where's he at? Well, find him. Go ask the cousins. Go ask. And all of a sudden, it's getting dark, and it's like, he's not here. You've got to be kidding. Now, here's Mary and Joseph. Who is this? Well, this is Silent Night, Holy Night, the angels visit. It's the Son of God. We're raising him up. It's God's. We've just lost God's Son. <laughs> they head back to camp, find him. They search him three days later after they get back to Jerusalem. So, that's, it could be anywhere from five to eight days have gone by. Like, oh, my God, we've lost the Son of God. Three days later, they discover him in the temple. Must have been the last place they looked. Well, let's look at church. Maybe he's there. And he was sitting among the religious leaders, listening to them and asking questions. All who heard him were amazed at his understanding and at his answers. His parents didn't know what to say or think. They said, son, his mother said, Mary. Son, his mother said, where, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been frantic, searching for you everywhere. Jesus said, well, but why did you need to search? Now, this is a 12-year-old. I don't know what you're upset about. Why did you need to search? Did you not know that I must be about my father's house, that I must be in my father's house? King James says I must be about my father's business. Didn't you know where I'd be? I got stuff to do. I'm here to save the earth. <laughs> Didn't my father tell you? 
And Mary and Joseph says, did not understand, and they marveled at it. And they went back and says, Jesus did exactly what Mary and Joseph taught him the rest of his life. He became 30, and the ministry started, and he went into you know, town and started his hands growing out, and eyeballs popping in. It just stirred everybody up. They wanted to stone him to death. You know, and that doesn't always, doesn't always make people happy when you do good stuff. And here's the thing. Jesus, the Bible says, at the last verse of this passage, grew in wisdom, stature, favor with God, and favor with man. Now, we started teaching parenting in our local church. We taught it for eight and a half years, covered 364 subjects, some repeatedly, you know. I realized we know about Jesus. We knew about salvation. We know about missions. We know about growing churches. Our church was exploding. Uh, we had thousands of people. But our families were going to hell in a handbasket Monday through Friday. What's wrong? Well, God says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. And that's where we found out we were, they don't just show up. Well, you never know how they're going to turn out. People would say, well, you just don't know about your kids. No, God knew. He said he commanded us to train them and teach them, that we were to mold them. No, there's no act. Well, you know, some just turn out the way. No, they don't. There's God and the devil. Both are pulling on our kids. Now, one of the things I do with my kids, I try to scare them a lot So because uh, fear works kind of a good sometimes. Ephesians chapter 6, let me show you this. This will mess with you. When we do this, it's early in the day. Ephesians chapter 6, just give you this. Now, this is what I do to my kids. I do this to my adult kids. I do this every year, every year. I mess with the kids. I'm always planning a vision. Every Christmas, I, my wife's seen to it that I'm Santa Claus every year. So I pay for family vacation. Bring your spouses and your kids, your dogs, just bring everybody. I'm paying. God bless you. I don't want to see you to Christmas, but every Christmas, and we're going to have a great time. And so we go rent a place. We were down in Gatlinburg, Tennessee this last Christmas. But every Christmas, I give each of my adult kids a blank piece of paper. We've done it every year. Okay, you know the rule. Here we are. Here's this. I owe you. For four hours, they own you. I own you. I paid for you. I own you. Sit down here. Here's a blank piece of paper. You've got two minutes, 120 seconds. It's a secular seminar called Who, What, Where, How, Why, When. It's a $1,500 seminar. It's secular. I just took their information, and I made it biblical. And so I ask one question. You've got, you got two minutes to answer this question. Who are you? You've got two minutes to write on that piece of paper. Who are you? Do not write your name down there. I named you. I don't need to know your name. I need to know who you are. Now, what I'm looking for is three scriptures. The Bible says in the mouth of two or three witnesses, the thing is established. Tell me who you are. Next, what are you doing here? And I always try to joke with this. And I remember the first time we did this, I said, what are you doing here? Well, you invited us to dinner. No, no, I don't mean at my house. What are you doing on this planet? Well, you and mom wanted to have us. No, trust me, you were not on our mind that night. We were not thinking about you. You are a surprise. What are you doing on this planet? Where are you going? Why do you want to go there? When do you expect to arrive? Who, what, where, how, why, when? At the end of it, I give them one more blank piece of paper. Now that you know the answer to those six one-word questions, where are you going to be in five years? I want one sentence. Where are you going to be in five years? Where are you going to be in four, three, two? And where are you going to be a year from now? Write it down and hand it to me because next Christmas I'm going to pull this piece of paper right back out. Because if you're not moving towards something, you're griping about where you're not at. I can't afford to have six thumb-sucking, mouthy, griping, complaining kids. My job is to give you a vision and launch you into something, not sitting here and thumb suck about your life. Coach, don't play me. Teach, don't like me. Got no Got no day. I got to get really busy. So I had to tell him, you have an enemy. You're on an alien planet. This world is not our home. We are passing through. 2 Corinthians 4, 4, Satan is the God of this planet. He kills, steals, and destroys John 10, 10. You live on a hellacious planet. Maybe things are going to get better. They're not going to get better. I've read the book. I went all the way to the end. It's going to get really skanky. Not with us, just the planet. We're the salvation of the planet. We're the light. We're the salt. We bring health and healing. We feed hungry people, give water to thirsty people. We help orphans. We help widows. We visit people in prison. We fix busted stuff. It's a full-time job. We wake up every day and fix hell. We're going to do that. I'm going to fix some hell. 
We ought to get up every morning and make the devil break out into a cold sweat. Oh, my God, they're up. Yes, we are. <laughs> we are going to do what Jesus said. Matthew 5, 9, Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers. They should be called the children of God. Most other translations written it this way. Blessed are the problem solvers. They should be called the children of God. What are you going to do? Solve problems. my full-time job. Not gripe about problems. Not write editorials about problems. Not write books about problems. My job called, anointed, gifted, saved, delivered, and blood-bought, is to fix hell. I am to chase and fix hell. Matthew 16, 13, Jesus said, My church will storm the gates of hell, and the gates of hell will not prevail against them. If you don't get this into your kids early, you'll have the whiniest, thumb-suckingest excuse. Well, if it weren't for them, you know, and if it they hadn't, and, you know, if they hadn't, they'd have been fine for that. And if it weren't for that, and if it weren't, and they're living in their past. God's mercy is new in the morning, not yesterday. I don't have a time machine. The only thing I do about my past is repent and forgive. So I've learned. We get to do. I get to be a parent. Not till they're 18. I'll be a parent when they're 63. Because I'll be 83. And they've never been 63. Hey, what did you do when you were 63? Well, we whipped some hell. It was a, we had hell. I remember that. It was a hellacious day. We, we fixed some hell. Ephesians chapter 6. Let's jump in here real quick. Look at this. Ephesians chapter 6. I'm going to jump into verse 10. The devil, by the way, if you read through the epistles, the Apostle Paul, who prayed, prayed in tongues more than anybody, wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, the devil's never on an equal plane with God. He's never mentioned till the last thing. He's an afterthought. Jesus whipped him in the middle of his own place down there, embarrassed in front of it. Hell's been whipped. Now, we have to continue the fight, but it's been defeated. You understand that? So he said, a final thought, he's taught the church at Ephesus, great church, final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so you'll be able to stand against all strategies of the devil. Now here he's, he's, he's right into a great church. I need you to be strong because there's a devil strategizing against you. What? Yeah, he's been up all night. He doesn't sleep. He's been plotting and planning against you all night. What did I do? You were born. Matter of fact, he hated you before you popped out. Oh, my goodness. Don't, don't do this late at night. It says, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers, oh my goodness, authorities and the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, against evil spirits in heavenly places. Five levels of demons. We're not only fighting the devil, but a third of the fallen angels. We're fighting demons and devils every day of our life on a hellacious planet where Satan is the god of this. Jesus is not Lord over this planet. Jesus is Lord over me. Satan is God over this planet. That's why there's 624 news channels reporting about what he's doing. You got to get this in your kids. Well, it's just bad everywhere. It's just bad. It's bad. It was written about it. You're not bad. You're good. You belong to God. Go do something. <laughs> Fix something. I'm getting loud. <laughs> Put on every piece of God's armor so you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Not only is he strategizing, not only does he have five levels of demons working, but a time of evil's coming. When? Well, he doesn't send advance notice. Hey, I'm the devil. I'm coming at 245 tomorrow. Get ready. He never gives advance notice. Watch this now. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth, the body armor of God's righteousness for shoes put on peace that comes from the good news so you'll be able to be fully prepared. In addition to all these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Well, you're, you're strategizing, there's evil days, and the arrows come. <laughs> now, I'm talking about teaching kids. Kids ought to be in church the minute they're born. They ought to be in nursery. They ought to be in preschool. Here a little, there a little, line up on line, precept on precept. i got to bear you in the Word of God so you come out of my house and out of church. What are you doing? I'm looking for somewhere to shine. 
I'm going to take something. I'm going to be an overcomer more than a conqueror. Didn't say I wouldn't go through stuff. It's just I'd overcome stuff. Everybody goes through hell. Everybody's been through some sort of hell. I've had daughters almost die of spinal meningitis. Uh, I had kids get hit on by a drunk driver. I've had kids flunk a course in college and lose their scholarship. Everybody's been through hell. Now, we going to do? Talk about it. The rest. Well, if you hadn't have done that, I'll tell you right now, if you hadn't have done that, it would have shut your face up. Plead the blood, repent, forgive, and let's start building something, not living in the past. I just blessed myself. <laughs> Stop the fire. Yeah, let's put on the helmet of salvation. Pray in the Spirit at all times and stay alert and be persistent in your prayers. Oh, my goodness. We're going to cover that in the second service. Now, I'll look to you, give you one more passage. Daniel chapter 10. This is a great passage. You've got to read Daniel. It'll stir you up. Just two verses. Daniel 10, 12. This is about Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Okay, they were minding their own business. Nebuchadnezzar comes in Jerusalem, kills their parents, burns down their city, takes them captive all the way back to Babylon. They're over there in the prison. Jeremiah 29 is the letter Jeremiah wrote to them. Some guys are hanging themselves. Some guys are committing suicide. Oh, my God, Nebuchadnezzar is going to burn our eyeballs out, dip us in oil, and burn us all night. We're going to die. Four guys, according to Jeremiah 29, were not scared at all. They were looking for wives and houses. Hey, I'm going to marry that girl right there, and I'm going to build me a house right there. They thought, why? Because Jeremiah had sent a letter which said, I know your day's not going good. I know hell just landed on your family. Your house has been burnt. Your parents are dead and have taken you captive. But I didn't do this to you. Your people did it to you. I have no plans to harm you. I have plans to prosper you, give you a future and a hope. Therefore, build ye houses, dwell in them, get yourself a girlfriend, make your wife, have some babies, raise them up, marry them off, and pray for the peace of the city. Of course, be carried away captive to you, for in the peace thereof you shall have peace. Only four boys read that letter and did it. What happened? Hell landed. We're going to hell. It's just hell. Finances are hell. Money, hell. There's no jobs in hell. People are hell. There's hell everywhere. Four guys didn't even talk about it. No, we're going to get us a good-looking woman and we're going to get married and build a house and plant us a garden. <laughs> Y'all can hang yourself if you want to. we got stuff to do. Because God said in 70 years we're going back home wealthy and loaded, going to rebuild the temple. They had a letter. They had the word. It's been 70 years. Daniel realized we've been here for 70 years. It just dawned on him. Hey, man. I mean, he came when he's a teenager. Now he's old. Hey, man, I think it's time we're going home. Didn't God say it's time to go home? I thought we were supposed to go home. How come we're not going home? It's been 70 years. God said we go home. How come we're not going home? Because you got to pray. Now, teaching kids to pray is not something cute. We taught our kids in preschool to pray. You're going to pray all the time. I play hands, but it would just frustrate it because I'd be coming out of the kitchen. They'd be eating the peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Come here a minute. Just lay my hand. Come here. I don't lay my hands on your head. I just take off praying in the Holy Ghost. And I say, Is there something wrong? No, I just want to lay hands and bless you. I'm supposed to pray all the time. That's just good. Right in the hair, please. Shut the kid. Close your mouth. Quit smacking your lips. Father, I thank you. I'm blessing my kids. They're going to be the head, not tail above and not beneath. Everything except the hand is going to prosper in Jesus' name. Amen. Come here. Hey, praise God. God's going to surround you. Should a divine favor. Coach likes you. Doesn't even know why. You're going to play a lot in Jesus' name. Amen. And I will do it constantly. Jesus laid hands on children and blessed them. Not to be religious, but to do something legitimate. We got to start doing what God says to our kids. Or they're not going to turn it. Well, you never know. No, I know. Now, watch this. He's seven years old. He finds a scroll. We're supposed to go home. He starts praying. God, you said we're supposed to go home. How come we're not going home? For three weeks, he's praying. Now he's praying and fasting. Stomach stuck together, grumbling. All of a sudden, an angel shows up. Three weeks after he's been praying. Verse 12, Daniel 10. Angel Lance, don't be afraid, Daniel. Since the first day you began to pray for understanding and humble yourself before God, your request was heard in heaven. He <laughs> said, what? We heard you when you prayed three weeks ago. Really? Well, I, where you been? So, man, I'm hungry. My stomach's stuck together. I got bad breath and B.O. I've been fasting. Where you been? If you heard me three weeks ago, where you been? 
And he answered, well, I've come and answered your prayer, but for 21 days the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia blocked my way. Who? Every country's got a demon over it. There's levels of demons. There's levels of devils. They're an opposition to the world. They're an opposition to the church. That's why you have a shield of faith, the sword of the spirit. You're supposed to speak the word of God. You're supposed to win a battle, not sit here and get whipped. You're, the love of God's supposed to be shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Ghost. Your husbands' wives ought to be sucking lips off each other's face, not spitting at one another. At least now we've been married for 42 years, and we teach on marriage a lot. He said, boy, I'd like to have a marriage like yours. Well, maybe. Don't you love your wife? Every day. I don't like her every day. Some days I don't like her at all. And there's days she doesn't like me at all. You like me? Nope. Me neither. I don't like you. Praise God. Well, we're in agreement on that. That's the only thing we're in agreement on right now. But I love you. Praise God. I just love you. I don't like you, but I love you. Of course, the sun comes up the next morning, your hormones are back, and you're sucking lips off each other's face again. It's an incredible adventure. <laughs> That'll help somebody. <laughs> spirit Prince of the Kingdom of Persia blocked my way. Then Michael, one of the archangels, came to help me, and I left him there with the Spirit Prince of Persia, and now I'm here to explain what will happen. Now, why about, I, I know I did that fast, but I tell my kids, you know why Jesus loves me this I know. You know why we take you to children's church every Sunday whenever Wednesday? You know why you go to church? Because you're growing in God's grace and knowledge. Why? Because you live on a hell-bound planet that hates your ever-living guts. They don't want you to pass algebra, get a boyfriend, get a girlfriend. They don't, make you, they don't want you to make Little League. They don't want you to make the choir, get first chair flute. They don't want you to ever go to college. They want your family to be broke and your parents to mess up and break up and have hell. The devil hates your guts. But God will hear the prayer of a five-year-old if you'll pray it. You have incredible power on this planet. My job's to teach you that. Because here's Daniel, what happened? Well, there's levels of angels and levels of devils. So when the angels said, man, I fell, I'm coming through. And the, the, that demon prince, man, we've been wrestling for three weeks up there, WWF. <laughs> I couldn't whip him. Finally, Michael, the thumper of heaven, Michael, the, the big boy of heaven. When Michael shows up, he never says nothing to anybody. He's just busting heads. Michael showed up, <laughs> get on down there. <laughs> and what he realized, like, what if he stopped praying after two weeks? What if he stopped? Well, I prayed nothing happened. I hear this all the time across me. Well, I prayed nothing happened. I prayed nothing happened. You didn't pray long enough. What do you think's going on when you pray? You think this is a slot machine? <laughs> if you'd learn from a child who you were in him, in whom Christ, Paul, Paul, the apostle Paul, went through all kinds of it. Prayed in the Holy Ghost more than anybody. He said, man, I've been stoned to death. I've been shipwrecked. Snakes bit me. Boats sank. People lied about me. He's like, I'm still here. He never griped about what he do. I'm an overcomer. I'm more than a conqueror. So what we're doing as parents is we want to make sure our kids are in church. We're going to train up the greatest generation this world has ever seen. I can't protect you from everything, child. I love you. Hell's going to make a run at you. But I'm here to let you know we're more than conquerors. We're overcomers. God works all things out to our good. We got it made. Our job, the Bible says, the righteous fall seven times a day is to get back up, not lay down and feel sorry for yourself. Guys, we got a great chance here. I don't care if your kids are 55. You can still work on them. You can still pray for them. I don't care if your kids are four. You, can st you got hope. We can start putting the Word of God in line upon line, and we're going to launch something great. Let's stand up. And we're going to pray. Everybody keep your eyes open. Look right here. Say this after me. I love this confession. Speak this over my kids all the time. Denise and I, we pray this three, twice a day over our kids. We started years ago. Twice a day. So here's what I'm going to give you. This is Psalm 34, 11, Psalms 5, 12, Proverbs 27, 17. Say it after me. Say, Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father I thank you for your word. Thank you for your 
Your word is truth. It sets me free, and it keeps me free. According to your word, I ask you, teach my children to fear you. Surround my children with divine favor. Bring to my children godly friends. I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Angels just got up and got busy, and that's going to come to pass in your life because God watches over his word to perform it. Bow your heads. Everybody bow your heads just for one minute. Nobody moving. Nobody looking for just one short minute. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Here's what I want to do this morning. Nobody looking. Everybody bow your head, close your eyes. Two questions. Are you here this morning? Say, Joe, I do not know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I have never, ever asked him into my heart. But, Joe, I've been convicted this morning. I want to do something about that. If that is you, I would like to pray a 30-second prayer over you right out of the book of Romans. I'm not going to embarrass you in any way. I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to call you forward. I'm simply going to ask you in just a few seconds to raise your hand, wave it at me, and put it right back down. I'm going to see it. God's going to see it. The Bible says this, those who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's that simple. Those who are willing to acknowledge they need a Savior, God will save you right where you stand. Old things will pass away. All things will become new. God will make you a new creature in Christ. It's that simple. Or perhaps you hear this morning and say, Joe, I'm not saved. I'm saved, but I've not been living for God lately. My life, Joe, has not turned out like I thought. I am in a mess this morning. If that's you, you can pray the exact same proud of Romans. We're going to pray with these other people, and God will take your sins as far as the east is from the west. Put them in the depths of the sea. There'll be no record of your sins in heaven, and God will make the devil pay back seven times whatever he stole from you. So right now with every head about every eye closed, say, Joe, that's me. I need to make Jesus the Lord of my life this morning. I've never done that. Would you pray that prayer over me? Or, Joe, that's me. I want to rededicate my life. I'm ready to get serious with Jesus this morning. Would you pray that prayer over me? If that's you on either count right now, would you simply just get your hand up and wave it at me and put it right back down? Joe, pray for me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your bonus. Thank you there. Thank you, sir. Thank you, ma'am. Anyone else? Never get easy this. All you're doing, you don't do the saving. God does the saving. He does the forgiving. He just needs your permission. Anybody else? Joe, I've not raised my hand. Please include in your prayer. Anyone else? Anyone else? All right. Thank you. Yes, thank you for your boldness. Hands down, heads bowed. Here's what we're going to do. Those of you that raised your hands, we're going to pray with you. God is about to do the two greatest miracles he can do, save souls and forgive sins. So people, let's help them pray. Everybody in here, say this after me. Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus. I do believe he is your son. He died for me, and you raised him from the dead. I ask him now, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Save me. Forgive me of my sin. I receive you by faith with thanksgiving in Jesus' name. Now, Father, for the hands that went up this morning, either for the first time ever or as a reaffirmation of their faith in you, according to your holy word and their obedience, as of right now, they are cleansed, forgiven, blood-bought, born-again children of God. Jesus Christ is their Lord. The devil's not their Lord anymore. They are your sheep. You are their shepherd. They will hear your voice and the voice of a stranger they will not follow. Father, we welcome them both back into the family, back into the fold. As they leave today, would you surround them with the shield of divine favor? And Father, would you bring godly friends into their life that will strike iron, cause them to grow and become all you want them to be? We thank you for them in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Give the Lord a hand clap. Praise God.
Thank you for listening to the Connecting Place podcast. For more information about Believer's Church, visit believers.cc.